to say the method can never be divorced from the conceptual, religious, yeah. socio-economic framework yeah. in which it arises. They yeah. arise together. Yeah. And I've often heard that, so just don't worry about the rest, just practice, practice, practice. Yeah. And I actually raised this point three weeks ago in, in, in a center in Lumbini and that caused so much agitation that I was almost asked to leave the monastery and I had to publicly apologize, um, basically to, to say, um, and I might have, because there was so much reactivity, I was reactive and used the word dogmatic, so I guess that really triggered people there, but it's just that the notion that a meditator encounters all these conceptions of the Dharma, the path, and the self on the path. Mm. And so the question is, what is a skillful response when one says, or a skillful question to ask in the face of this um, variety? What is most beneficial to me, given that all these frameworks are empty as well, mm. they co-arise, mm. and you go to all these teachers, they all have a view, and okay. one view that I've sometimes heard here that wasn't sometimes not so questioned is, well, if in doubt, go back to the teachings of the Buddha, mm. but then even if we go back to the canon, really established scholars and really experienced meditators really have different opinions on how certain things are mm. translated or interpreted. Yeah. So how does a young yogi uh, choose right. a helpful conceptual framework? That's good. Yeah, it's a good response. I'm very curious of what happened. What, did, what on earth did you say that, that got them wound up? What, can you remember? What, what, what? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I actually curious. Have the, I have the question written down somewhere here. I basically said, um, and it was leading up to it through a few interviews yeah. that became, and again, that this is just personal view, I don't have to share all of this, but no. um, I, I said, do you believe yeah. that the practice yeah. can still generate insights yeah. that can go beyond the conceptual framework of your tradition? Yeah, good question. And then, and then the answer was yes. Good. And then I said, if so, mm -hmm. why do you continue to really um, so dogmatically uh. present that particular framework in such a strong language, uh -huh. and and then and then my, my name didn't appear on the interview. Your screen. name didn't appear. You got whitewashed. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I, I stayed for another three or four days, and I actually had a very healing conversation with um, Vivekananda at the end of that. He, he's a senior teacher. Mm. And there was very healing. And he he did his first retreat with me, so I'm really interested. He basically on. said, you, you can do this with Christopher Titmus. He, he said, Did he? You can he do would. this with. And yeah. I'm doing it right now. So I'm sort of. I'm, so, in a certain sense, I'm challenging yeah. I won't be signing you up tomorrow. You yeah. realize? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm seeing you. Well, it's in, in the canon. Go back to the yeah. Buddha's teaching. All right, okay. All right. You, he's got some valid, valid uh, points uh, there. <laughs> I could try and communicate uh, uh, the picture just on, on, on practice for a moment. 
uh, yes, as Vivekananda said, that in the uh, exploration of the insights and the realizations that may come, may have nothing whatsoever to do with the method methodology uh, uh, which is there. Therefore, we have to see, I would say, from that, whatever we, the privileged teachers here, offering in terms of method and technique and form and structure to really recognize the value, the real benefits and the limits. If it's a form and a structure, it's a form and a structure. And that form and a structure is healthy and helpful for, for practice. There are countless numbers of views, as you just expressed, from us, the privileged, uh, in the uh, teaching there. And sometimes that the repetition of the form again and again, I, I agree, can give the impression, and it may be right, that it's dogmatic uh, there. If it's a dogma, um, there will tend to be from the teacher a, tend to, a tendency towards strictly only this, an exclusion of uh, everything else, and uh, rather than an invitation, more of a demand, it should only, only be this. And that and dogma tends to carry with it the shadow of some control and exclusivity uh, uh, around things. I do think it's important for the meditators to be mindful uh, 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 of this and the first priority with this of course is really listening to oneself because it, there is a vulnerability in the course of time to identify with the voice of authority believe the voice of authority and then repeat it only do this, don't do anything else, you get confused, only do this, this is, this is what we teach and it gets a bit tight and a bit controlling and your good voice can question it right? all, all credit to you for uh, doing it uh, others, others, moi here yeah, um, with the reputation that sometimes uh, goes uh, with it uh, yes, quite regularly, uh, since I'm a Buddha Dharma teacher, do make uh, uh, references to the Buddha. But those uh, references which are, uh, are made, the intentionality is that it can be helpful and supportive there as a way to question the current beliefs and views sometimes uh, I find not very helpful uh, there. But the criteria which is far more important than the Buddha is your experience. That has to come first. One has to trust in that. Um, it may be helpful, like uh, today speaking about uh, the four truths, that's straight out of the Buddha, you know, you know, uh, clearly speaking about the hindrances um, this particular uh, discourse, I didn't make it up. Uh, and since it's got two and a half thousand years of generations of dedicated practitioners and yogis, it carries a bit of weight to it. And the reason it does, because people can practice this and say, well, my experience is telling me 
Mindfulness of breathing is useful, mindfulness of the body is useful, mindfulness of feelings are useful, etc. So, primary, without exception to me, what you experience comes first. More important than the authority of the teacher, more important than the authority of the tradition and the lineage, and more important than the Buddha. Ehi pasiko o panaiko pachatam vinyuti. See through your own experience. And the second is, there may be a range of experiences, insights and realizations which the meditator doesn't know um, and therefore is out of their realization at this uh, present time which is there. And when that is out of one's uh, experience, it may take some trust that the teacher knows what she or he is talking about. It is our duty to kind of point to the deeper uh, experiences uh, uh, which are there. And once again, that the backbone of authority is one's experience. That, that's the, uh, the, uh, the unbeatable, uh, in uh, my view. So we, in this teaching, and in this tradition, not Theravada tradition, Dharma tradition, uh, they are not dependent on the past. It's, it's insightful, it can be supportive, but it must not overshadow one's own inquiry into this human existence. Helpful, clear, confused, or what? <clears throat> the experience is also dependent arising. Yeah. And so, right. if I think that progress on the path will mm. only happen through catharsis and intensity, mm. I will probably encounter some catharsis. Mm. If I have a completely different conception of the path, yeah. my experience, mm. like it's, it's all wrapped up in it, right? So even there, I feel like if we isolate experience... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, you, you think, good point. Um, I use... Uh, uh, experience here but um, more precisely it is as you said there, the seeing of what is unfolding and in the seeing what is unfold, uh, unfolding experience is one aspect insights is another, realizations is another, shifts of consciousness uh, uh, is another and uh, much much more so we kind as much as we can, we stay true to that exploration there. But sometimes, in that dependent arising uh, world which is uh, uh, taking place, there may not be the kind of clarity and the skills and the wisdom and the know-how how to work with particular experiences or even particular insights. Which uh, or what is uh, what is arising, and that's where the teachings, the methodologies, and the practices re really do do come in. And but the, the sense of the freedom to explore is uh, one kind of confirmation of what freedom is about. So it's the freedom to explore. So as you see, some of the beloved teachers, <laughs> there is a certain. Um, for some, especially in the religious world, of course, qu 
quite a lot of reliance on the past. Uh, and for some of us, have much love and appreciate, appreciation for the tradition, much love and appreciation for uh, the Buddha, but there are more important things in life. Clear? Um. <laughs> yes, anyone, please. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Anyone else? Any questions? Anything you'd like to ask or to touch upon? Yeah. Yes, please, yes. Thank you. Um, in the Dharma talk this afternoon yeah. on emptiness, so another yeah. question or inquiry. Mm. Um, I understood mm. part of it, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. where you spoke about meaning coming from within and yeah. therefore that can impose something on yeah. the outside mm. and so you could say that my interpretation is empty mm. of an inherent yeah. quality yeah. because of that mm. what I wasn't sure when mm. you spoke of the sound, smell, taste touch mm. and mind yeah. as being empty yeah. in my experience mm-hmm. You could say the room is empty, mm. but there's a lot in the room too. Mm. Even between us, mm-hmm. it looks empty, but there's air. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I just wasn't. I, I wonder what you mean, or what the tradition means, according to your understanding about emptiness. <laughs> <laughs> we go back to the past. Buddha famous, no, no. In response to some, a question like this, the Buddha famously held up a flower as his response, and I found myself looking for a flower. <laughs> so, it, it isn't easy. Remember, it's a meditation, it's a contemplation, it's a, ref, it's a reflection uh, uh, there. And the theme or one of the themes in the talk we live in this world so called and what is the world the world is that which I see hear, smell, taste and touch this is it and the world is the response to that outer world we might call it the inner world the interior environment if you like and this dynamic is going on and in this dynamic of what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, feel, think, etc., there's all sorts of mutual influences which are taking place. So right now, our mutual influence, you talk to me, brings the response of these words, and uh, I talk to you, and it goes back and forth. The world is mutually influenced. And, as the theme of the uh, 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 talk uh, said, all that's going on, including the space between us, including the air element, including things, including room, and uh, so, uh, so forth, it is being revealed by that 
which is not that which is empty of that and this teaching of the Buddha and the teaching right, uh, uh, right, right now is to recognize and acknowledge that in the absence of all of this this mindfulness this with a clear comprehension of consciousness or however we want to uh, uh, describe it that this emptiness makes all of this possible and without emptiness none of this would actually be possible none of it and there are so in the absence of the form in the absence form of the body form of the group, the form of the world the form of sight, sound, smell, taste and touch they're all forms there and in the absence of the form called thought and experiences and emotions and feelings in the absence of uh, all of that of which mindfulness, clear comprehension is a doorway, one of them there, and see as well the absence of enables the knowing of only emptiness only it's in emptiness that there is the knowing and there's something extraordinary about this it doesn't mean to say that realization or liberation that a person has to understand emptiness not in the Buddha's teaching not in Christopher's teaching or, or whatever but for some there's a certain sense of receptivity of what these teachings of emptiness are really about and, and they are teachings of extraordinary liberation from any imprisonment to any form or any method or any technique right, no? so it's not, <coughs> it's not a statement about the absolute identity of anything it's no. more that emptiness reveals Continuously. Yeah. With the. I would. <laughs> not easy, this. One has to be a little mindful of um, continuously. It's a little difficult because it gives an idea of perpetuation in time. Emptiness is empty of time so it can't have any continuity and it can't have any discontinuity it's emptiness yes sir so in the, in the emptiness <laughs> it's, 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 it's a theme now <laughs> <laughs> but go on I cannot really believe that um, somebody can understand that so uh, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't I, did. <laughs> I miss I miss no, I cannot believe what Be so, a obstacle. Yeah, yeah. the thing in, in Buddhism is looks like is everything very clear 
in all the aspects of the of the reality and thus doesn't have any kind of uh, unfolding of mystery. So it means like human being is the peak of of the universe and we have to say what are the human beings. So when no. it means like talking about emptiness, emptiness have intelligence that we cannot understand. You meet anybody else. So that's what I mean like the emptiness is something that have intelligence. No, no, um, uh, <laughs> if I get the picture, because it's, it's not so easy with, with the words, so I'll have to re- reflect or repeat uh, just um, uh, a, a little bit here. There is no elevation whatsoever in, in, the, in the Dharma to the notions of superiority, i.e. human beings. We are su- superior because we look at the round of the world, we think, yeah, right. <laughs> so there is this cultivation of superiority uh, uh, for, our, for our species, uh, uh, etc. It is not about superiority, um, but it's about a way of understanding, this way of understanding of dependent arising conditions there, that in that understanding we can be if we wish bold enough to say the truth of it is still true whether there are human beings on the earth or not whether there is sentient life or not dependent arising is a very hard thing to disprove I have not met anybody who has been able to disprove it so whether I am here or you are here or not, the dynamic of conditions unfolding, changing and dissolving, is a constant confirmation that no thing has its own existence because it's influenced and shaped and changed and altered by all the other events. And look, 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 look. Look at so some photographs. No, 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 no relationship. That's very profound to say that that emptiness has no intelligence. Exactly. That's and very it's very... And it's that means the limit of the, the human being. How? Very profound to say that there is no intelligence in that emptiness. Yes. So it's like kind of random. So, 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 what was the word? Random. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Uh, I, I ref- sorry, 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 sorry. Let me, let me, let me, let me finish here. Here is the ex- human beings living on the earth. As human beings living on the earth, we have some intelligence. Of course, we have. We have some stupidities. Of course, we have. We're trying to find our way and understand what this existence is. If I say emptiness has intelligence, if I say, say, take this view, it would place intelligence out there. It would place it everywhere. I don't see the evidence for it in a world uh, which has so much suffering in I cannot see the intelligence in suffering. Then this, please, no, it's not a discussion. It's, uh, you ask the question and I respond. 
So for me, intelligence is an attribute of sentient life. We can find a certain intelligence in our animals and in creatures, and we can find it with ourselves. I cannot say as a human being that there is intelligence out of sentient life. I don't think this has intelligence. I just don't. And, but I, what I can say of this, that this is only here because countless numbers of conditions wood, trees, flowers, light, earth, transport, carpenters, somebody with a vision and an idea, put this together. And if I took out any one of two or three of these conditions, like the wood, like the carpenter, like the person who brought it here, or whatever, this could not be, because this is dependently arising. And to understand deeply, not theoretically or metaphysically or abstractly, this is a very profound exploration for a human being, and it is so profound, it is liberating, and I'll just wish to keep with the point, intelligence is in sentient life, and I do not see any evidence for a God of intelligence in this suffering. That's my view. No, 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 next person, please. Uh, uh, next person, please. Yeah, I I gave you several minutes. I think at this time it is appropriate for other people, to them to ask questions. So far we've had three, all three men have asked questions and others haven't. So would anybody else like to ask a question? Yes, please, yes, please. Yes. Yes, please, good. I miss I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you finish the story from this afternoon of rice coming from two ends? Oh, <laughs> the story for myself. Yes, you, you started the story and then you started talking about cancer. <laughs> 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 I, think, I think you finished it. I did. Yeah. So, so I, I could just give a, a very brief, brief summary of the story. I did think I finished it. <laughs> was I ate some rice on the retreat several years ago and the outcome of that was vomiting and diarrhea it cleaned out it finished at five past seven I brushed my teeth I walked in the meditation hall and I gave a talk end of story, nothing special all right Thank you. <laughs> I was happy for me to. And the second question is. Go on. Yesterday, uh, in a one to one interview, yes. you said uh, 90% of the voice you hear from me is a healthy ego. Not quite, but carry on. And, and I, then, <laughs> I was quite happy about it. I thought it was a compliment. And then later on, when I wrote my diary, I was like, Wait, I sit here for seven days and I still have about an ego. That's <laughs> so the question is, um, what what exactly is a healthy ego and what's its relation with an unhealthy ego and ego yeah. is state of mind? Um, yeah. Our spiritual uh, path goal is to 
go egoless or or shift from a healthy ego, like yeah. travel between a healthy ego and egoless? Yeah. Um, okay. I, um, I mean, sometimes and quite regularly happens. I, I have never personally ever said um, 90% healthy ego is not words that other teachers might, but I wouldn't, actually would not use. It's, but it, sometimes it may be heard in that way. Um, there's some recollection, of course, of the, uh, uh, the conversation. And what I was trying to point out uh, there, that sometimes the, uh, the voice can have fears and doubts and uncertainty in it, you know, that, that can be, and that can be felt quite strongly in our meditations and in our, and, uh, in our daily life. And then, despite the fears, the doubts and the uncertainty, uh, the voice which c- comes through can carry with it some authority, and some clarity, a capacity to describe, let's say, fear and doubt extremely well, and also uh, focus and touch upon other things, one's way of life, and one's values, and one's ethics, practices, uh, etc. And what I was hearing from you in the course of time as we talked, you know, I might well have said like 90%, you know, or most, maybe not, let's say 90% there, that that voice, when you were speaking, was coming through there. The ego, I don't use it in its Western sense. <coughs> you know, I'm, I'm out of the Eastern tradition. And the word for ego is ahamkara. Aham is I, kara activity. So when there is building up of I, there's building up of ego. That, that makes ego. So building up of I, 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 I. The ego is also putting oneself down. And so there's the self or the I arising, there is an activity, and one's putting oneself uh, down. There are moments and times and perhaps plenty of times and this is what I was communicating when we're actually sharing and communicating well and clearly and in the wellness of that communication there is an absence of ego there is an absence of ahamkara this I-making activity and this is part of the exploration there. Any clearer? Or? So our goal is from a unhealthy ego to a healthy ego to an egoless? No, no. It, it, I, the, um, there's a, a lo- lovely uh, teacher in the United States who's a therapist <coughs> as well. His name is if I remember rightly, Jack Engler from Boston. And he either gave a talk or wrote an article in the 1980s and it was reputed that he said one has to go from a low sense of self-worth to 
self worth or low self esteem to a healthy ego, and then from a healthy ego to egolessness uh, there. And the poor man got stuck with this. It kind of, oh, this is what Jack Engler said. And wherever he went, this is what he was supposed to have said. And a few years ago, I noticed he wrote an article saying, actually, I never said that. <laughs> you know, and I just use it as a small example of sometimes voices of authority can say something. It's not really what they said, but it gets stuck. And it does, it does uh, uh, the round. So in this practice here, this exploration is exploring the difficult, it is exploring the caring and the supportive and the wholesome and the, and the uh, healthy. But it's not going from one to another to egolessness. I doubt if anybody could do that anyway. And the actuality is at times some difficult things arise and at times it's clear and harmonious and integrated uh, there. And I think that way of explore, exploring is uh, um, more suitable. Right? Great. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else, please? Yes, Rosemary. Yes. Um, and then so I'll come I to have you. a question about your two teachers in Thailand. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Dharma Dharini? No, no, not yet. Dharma Daro means Dharma power in the Dharma. Buddha Dasa. Mm. I'm wondering um, what specifically about those two teachers drew you? Mm. What, what, what drew you to them? What made right. you particularly start teaching? With the first Sajjan Dhammadharo, he uh, had uh, a monastery of strict vipassana. In fact, when I ordained, I'd never heard the word vipassana in my life. It didn't mean absolutely meant nothing to me <coughs> uh, there. But I received from actually, an Indian monk, Mahanakasena, <coughs> a suggestion that having taken ordination as a novice, I should go to this monastery 16 hours on the train south from Bangkok. And spend time there and he very kindly would act as a translator when I went to see Ajahn Dhammadara and there a little bit like here the strong influence this emphasis on the four postures the emphasis on the community community meditating together so the, the sittings and of course the, the, we did also the circle walking outside under the trees, standing meditation under the trees, reclining posture, etc. And all of that sense of community togetherness was there with the disciplines of the silence there, and a talk every evening and never missed uh, there. And I found, though for the first two or three weeks I wondered what the hell am I doing here, what have I got myself into, I had no comprehension what was going on and with the and I couldn't sit cross-legged which didn't help so we didn't have the bourgeois comforts of these cushions um, as we have here it's just you know, a mat like this actually on, on the wooden floor uh, there and we ate 
two long rows of the monks and novices and my knees were like butterflies were up, up here like this and they had absolutely no relationship between here and there so it's extremely difficult balance trying to eat with your knees out there and the monks would come over and discuss it and the general agreement was that I was born with a severe physical handicap <laughs> that was the conclusion and I believe them <laughs> and so then I would go into my uh, uh, room <laughs> like this and it's like, like trying to move rock uh, initially but gradually gradually they, you know, they finally uh, went down and about a year, a year later I actually got into the full lotus of very happy bunny uh, so the three years uh, there and I also um, love the, lo the teacher obvious, obviously and, and the silence and the nuns on the other side of the Dharma Hall um, were just uh, lovely and charming and helped to give a really good balance with all the other energies around the place. So that, that was there. And with the uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa, the inspiration from him definitely, like with the good questions just asked now about emptiness and the understanding of, of, of that was one. Uh, he never ever spoke to me when I was in the forest with him never, never mentioned mindfulness of breathing no he taught on it so we just had dialogue together and that dialogue put a lot of interest or focus for me on dependent rising these conditions which bring something about whether there are human beings or Buddhas on this earth or not it doesn't change and the second aspect of it as well this kind of radical social dimension to it and that definitely had an influence on me as well so one is teaching of emptiness and interconnectedness the dynamics and the other of the, the vipassana you mean the radical you mean socialism political, social political yeah me yeah yeah he, 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 he <laughs> when I had the situation with him where one Prime Minister publicly would call him a Narahant, which is the highest attainment one can get, and the next Prime Minister would call him a communist and should be disrobed. And he just weathered through all, all, all of this. It's quite something. <laughs> yes, anyone please? Oh yes, please, uh, yes. I missed the word, I'm sorry. Yeah. Two questions in a row on the personal here. Yeah? 
far more important things, but I'll, I'll definitely uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll respond. And I speak, I'll speak personally a little bit more uh, on behalf of the others. What I mean by that is that I had the delight and the joy and the adventure and the challenge of being on the road for about three years, 1967 to 70. Then it felt time to in a way make the inner journey and uh, the Buddhist tradition, bless its heart, uh, offered the tools, the environments, the teachings, the teachers to make that possible and that was the primary uh, reason for the ordination uh, there. I didn't have any existential crisis, I wasn't unhappy, I wasn't confused, Frankly, it wasn't suffering either. Uh, I enjoyed life on the road. And uh, the uh, period of the time in the monastery and then first two or three weeks as I just uh, mentioned to Rosemary, wondered, you know, what the hell am I doing uh, here? And then sometimes as it happened, uh, some kind of insight and understanding just emerged about the dynamics actually of, uh, of uh, mind and body how they work together something got really really clear for me whoa and that gave the spur and the extra energy to keep meditating and for fresh insights to uh, uh, come um, but I'm not one of those uh, in terms of the formations that arose and uh, took, uh, took place. I can't really think of any crises that I've had in my life. I haven't had any traumas in my life. I haven't uh, had, to, I may say, had to suffer really in my life. I've had it easy, frankly. I mean, especially when I listen to other voices uh, there. And I might have mentioned Look at the school reports as well. It's going to have Christopher, the happy boy, who could try harder. And of course, there have been, obviously, in the dynamics of the roles and the variety of situations, and of course, life and death and change, and pain and sickness, friends and loved ones and family and so forth. But the, the Dharma uh, really gives so much support in all of this uh, hence my passion and uh, enthusiasm is the same as when I started really and I always said to myself when I get bored of listening to people's stories or doing these things then I'll I'll become a postman it's a lovely job get up early in the morning walking meditation house to house by yourself put the things through the letterbox I mean. marvellous <laughs> <laughs> yes any impersonal questions please <laughs> yes sir slightly personal uh, how do you view uh, interaction with beggars in India mm. if you want to talk about yeah. that later yeah yeah um, in <clears throat> for myself in coming uh, here every year of course uh, 
many, many uh, uh, beggars there, um, some of whom I know, some of them I've known since they were kids, a couple, two or three outside the gate there, we know each other, uh, etc. And I think this is a, if we can, if we can, to find ways to give uh, some uh, 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 support. Of course, simply impossible with the sheer number of beggars that there, there are, you know, got to live in the real world with all, the, all of this. But even if we're not giving, um, the warmth and friendship from our eyes, rather than the coldness and the distance, I think it also communicates something as well. And one has to say with the, uh, with the beggars as well, begging is a hard job. It's a tough job, it's work, it's really, it really is work. And that work uh, is such that sometimes they have to endure a thousand rejections to get a few rupees. There is a lot, I think it's unfortunate, a lot of publicity goes on that the beggars are rich, I don't believe it. There's a lot of publicity goes on as well with regard to mafias running the beggars there. Yes, certainly, time to time, in some places that goes on. No doubt, you know, they drop them off, and collect and give them a small percentage, that goes on. But in the main, in the mainstream, in my years, I think that is more exceptional than the rule. And a lot, it's simply that they are facing a struggle for existence. And uh, the small acts that we can uh, give, yeah, and gen generally with the kids I think it's better to give them food. You know, some bananas or some oranges or something like that, generally speaking. Yeah. Yes, please, anyone. Yes, please, yes. Do you think, like, um, when we talk about conditionings, like yes. having different social conditions, like, for example, being less educated mm -hmm. and having, like, more suffering with, like, a mom who has to work a lot and uh, more time for you as a kid? Or, yes. Um, yeah, just different social conditions make it um, more difficult to um, kind of go through the path of actually have the possibility to, to, to just meditate and... Yeah. You know. Yeah. The conditions, social conditions, um, of course, have a significance. I, I do feel, since it's a teaching of exploring conditions, as much as, as much as anything else, we've really got to keep the bigger picture of the exploration really alive and well with us. So the single mum with her kids may not have really any real time for any formal meditation, let, let us take it like that. The person is really working hard, studying hard or whatever. The form that we are used in here, um, that may not arise. What is far more important than this sitting form, valuable as it is, is the relationship to the whole of the day. Really the whole of the day there. So then that really includes every activity, everything we put in our mouth, what comes out of our mouth, everything that we engage in, to really have a sense this life is to be explored. This life is to see what are supportive conditions. 
this life is to explore what conditions can, can change for the welfare of ourselves and others. I'm sorry, see, it, uh, see it like that. So I mean, like how how the, the um, that this mother, single mother has probably less access to this kind of knowledge, yeah. or to like read something about it, or go to India and meditate. I I, I, I agree that there there uh, a genuine um, uh, difficulty. I mean, I really do uh, appreciate uh, that, and I have said to. Uh, uh, single parents, single mother, single father. With me, with my retreats, if you want to bring a child, you can. You're a child. It's the only way. You're welcome to come. We have the walk in France. There's 150 of us are walking, and 25 of those are um, under the age of 16, right down to the small ones. And Ellen, who is sitting uh, uh, be, uh, beside you, there uh, uh, on the atra. Uh, she takes care with the parents of giving support to the children <coughs> workshops with the children uh, and really including the children in the sangha of practice and exploration of, of all the ages there there are situations as well where people um, in living in the same areas are giving support to each other but I genuinely appreciate and feel as you saying there a really deep concern for the single mother uh, there who can generally feel quite isolated and not be able to have access and one of the explorations that's going on in some communities community mean might be the town a group of people in which there are women and men who really would love to be parents and they are not and there are parents who are really saying, give me a break from the kids uh, there. And there's exchanges and explorations taking place, and sometimes in which the kids will spend a night, or a couple of nights, with a person or a couple, who are not parents, but just you know, want to feel the kids around uh, there. And quite often the kids just can't wait to get out of their parents' house anyway uh, there. And, and they have a, another whole sense uh, of, of things. And in my daughter's school in Totnes, um, when she was there, this is like 20, 20 years ago, nearly all the kids, the parents, weren't together. Nearly all the kids in the class uh, there. And one of the children, who was about 15 years of age, she went home and said to her parents it's not fair all my friends in the class have got two homes to go to and I've got this boring one to come home to why can't the two of you get a divorce another way of looking at things <laughs> but uh, we, we, we mostly it's we who are parents or grandparents or not grandparents or parents or whatever to uh, just see if we can give support and friendship and we've got to change the culture from this isolationism
Right, one more question, then we're done. Yes, please, yes. Mine is related to this and also quite broad, but yeah. I'm just wondering, we've had 2,500 years for the Buddhist teachings to leave the world, uh-huh. and I'm wondering what can be done to have them meet more people. Like, uh, why is it? I'm, so I'm, miss, I'm sorry. Huh? I, I missed the word. Why is it? It's a teaching that's so obviously so positive and mm. so clear mm. and so like, uh, helpful mm. to humanity. Why hasn't it reached everyone? Yeah. And how do we make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a valid, valid uh, question. Um, f- uh, fortunately, for this one anyway, um, having reflected on this, as you uh, uh, can imagine, Hey, um, some other things as well, a little similar. I don't too much concern myself with uh, uh, with numbers you know, and uh, reaching the uh, larger audiences. There, there is a wish for some, for some teachers there, and those, uh, and there are some teachers, spiritual teachers, Buddhist teachers there, whose outreach and programs genuinely reach that thousands and spiritual teachers uh, and, and uh, so forth there and they Thich Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh Sri Sri Ravi Shankar and, and many other kind of teachers uh, really offer uh, a huge public service to a wide varieties of people uh, and all credit to them for uh, what they uh, offer and some of us, uh, uh, like myself, um, have uh, a love and appreciation um, and commitment to what is really, really deep. And for that, it requires quite a lot of uh, close cooperation, really one-to-one listening, uh, those explorations, like with inquiries and with the Dharma talks, which really need a silence. It's uh, not easy giving such talks, like some of the talks that uh, I've given over the days, if I just walked into a public hall or spoke on the radio, which I've, of course, done enough times. Um, uh, There's something about the sangha of practitioners and the silence which generates a receptivity that's deep, much deeper. And and I just keep faith with that and as a long lineage of the rishis and the, and the gurus and the yogis and the uh, ajans and the dharma the teachers quite often it's keeping faith with uh, the intimacies that we establish you know, 30 people, 40 people, 100 people those kind of numbers are there and um, it's up to uh, good people like yourself to uh, have the wisdom and the insights and the uh, kindnesses to generate it further. (laughs) So, in other words, I'm passing the responsibility back to you. (laughs) Anyone else finally who was really waiting to ask or say something? Yes, please, yes. Do 
you think that there are pathological structures people could have which pathological yeah which prevents them to engage with the dharma mm. i'm a psychologist yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he whispers i'm a psychologist <laughs> um the thing the well, amongst the many aspects with these kind of uh, uh, teachings uh, is you and I we communicate with the other let's say the pathological other in this, uh, this case it does take quite some skill to find the languages languages which triggers and sparks a response from the other which brings out some curiosity and interest and if we just speak say the language let's say just used in the hall here but for most will not have a clue they don't even have to be pathological they just they just got to be normal and they still won't have a clue <laughs> so it, it's really it's listening to the other asking I feel lots and lots of questions genuinely interested in the other to like the other person basically to really listen and their language there is a language which we have to know rather well so we can respond to it and once that response to their language is being adopted by uh, us so there's no imposition then the Dharma which in its true meaning authentic meaning it's Dharma it literally means that which gives support so whoever or whatever we give support to including the pathological person and that support is being given without ever using the word dharma or meditation or mindfulness then the, the dharma quote unquote is being given right. and, but the voice what she, the words that she or he uses is the key to communication that's, that's the key alright let's have our lovely silence for a minute <laughs> into the conditions of life may all beings understand the changes which are beneficial 
may your beings live with love and wisdom.